Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving this past week. Uh, feels like we've been very hit or miss this fall, and I apologize for that. But glad to be back, and we will have uh, some Advent Bible Breakdowns coming up the next two weeks. Then we will do a Christmas one, but it'll be like a week and a half before Christmas. But that is when it will fall on our calendar. So we'll do the next three weeks. We'll have two Advent and a Christmas Bible breakdown. Then we will take a break over the holiday season and come back in January. Just wanted to let you know. But this week is the beginning of those two Advent series that will start for a few weeks. And another fun thing about getting to the end of the year is the Spotify Wrapped. If any of you are Spotify users, you have probably gotten yours. It tells you kind of about your habits as a listener, um, some of the most played songs or artists or podcasts, things like that. As a podcaster on Spotify for podcasters, I also get a Spotify rap that tells me about my listeners. So I now know more about you than I've ever known before. Now, uh, a couple of things, I think I was able to weed out most of these, but um, I did have this one episode early in the year that had an uh, a ridiculous amount of listens, allegedly. And I I think I maybe got my account suspended because of that. I'm not sure. They never told me why. Anyway, that was an annoying time. But that one kind of maybe skewed some of the results. So any of them that I thought would have been affected by that, I took out. But I thought I'd share with some of you some of the, the fun uh, information I got about the listeners to the Bible Breakdown this year. So after that, then we will continue on to actual important things, right? Okay, so this year, eight countries streamed the Bible Breakdown. Among those countries, if you're wondering, and I'm sure that you are, Canada, the UK, um, Australia, you know, other English speaking ones. But then there's like all these like less than 1%, which means probably somebody just accidentally clicked on it. We had Angola this year, new. We had Sierra Leone. Uh, we had Argentina. We had Tunisia. Uh, we had we had a lot of interesting ones this year. I won't read all of them, but those were some that stood out to me. Always fun to see who accidentally clicks on my podcast because I don't think there's any reason anyone in Angola is purposefully listening. If if you are and you're a regular listener, then we're glad to have you. But yeah, I don't think that's probably the case. Okay, top three categories that people who listen to the Bible breakdown like the most. Okay, so this describes you as a body of listeners. Number one, religion and spirituality obviously. Next, comedy. Second, society and culture. All things we try to touch on here on the Bible Breakdown. This is your one-stop shop for all of your favorite categories of podcasts. So uh, I think you have hit the the jackpot if those are the three that uh, apply to you most, though. Let's be real. We are definitely heavy on the religion and spirituality part. Comedy, I try, but you know that's not what it's about. Favorite music types. This is maybe my favorite factoid. All right. This describes you as a group. Okay, remember, so this doesn't say anything about me. This says something about you. Top three music types in order. Number one, rap. Number two, pop. Number three, getting bronze Christian music. So you're all starting to take shape for me as listeners, and I love it. I love what I'm seeing. Uh, thank you if you shared the Bible breakdown this year. I don't know how they got this info, um, but... We've got some, so here we go. 57% of the sharing went through text messages. 29% was other, which is concerning. What does that mean? 7% uh, through Snapchat. Terribly concerning, I would say. Please don't share my podcast on Snapchat if you can help yourself. Uh, and then 7% through a direct link. 
Now, uh, if you're a mathematician, which I'm not, but I uh, can I can math occasionally, um, those percentages lead me to believe that there were about 14 total shares at roughly 7% each, right? So, uh, and I know probably who most of those those are. They are probably from one person who tells me all the time that they share it. So, you know who you are. 54% uh, increase in followers this year. Shabao, very excited about that. 54% increase. We're almost at 100 Spotify followers, which is pretty cool. Uh, for 76 of you, my podcast is in your top 10. Um, that, again, probably means that oh, there's a lot of non-podcasters listening here. For 45 of you, it's in the top five. Ooh. And for a lucky 13 of you, I'm the number one podcast in your library. Last year, though, there were 15 people who fit that bill. So um, at that rate, in a few years, we will be down to zero. But you are all my favorites. Thank you for letting me be your favorite. And 76% of the listens from this year were from first timers. Is that skewed by that one episode? Hmm, perhaps. But anyway, that's pretty cool. All right. So there's the Spotify wrap for the Bible breakdown. I do appreciate you listening in. I uh, was telling somebody just recently that while I do it as a part of my ministry at the church, um, it's kind of almost more like a hobby for me because I enjoy it so much. So uh, I enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it too. And I always appreciate the feedback. But we will go back to spiritual Advent topics. Okay, so we are going to start by revisiting some of the uh, a couple of prophecies from the Old Testament about the birth of Jesus. And we're going to talk about the significance of those. We're going to look at three in particular, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Micah 5. So those are the ones we're going to take a look at, and we're going to talk about prophecy in general and how it plays out in the birth of Jesus. Okay, so let's do this thing. We're going to start with Isaiah 7:14, one that's probably pretty common to all of you. Here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so again, one of the most commonly used uh, Old Testament passages referring to Jesus' birth in the Christmas season. We use this one quite a bit. Uh, in terms of the original context, it's definitely the most confusing of them to understand. And here's why I say that. Let's just go ahead and take a little sidetrack just to have some things to note about biblical prophecy in general, okay? First thing, commonly misunderstood, prophecies are not exclusively future predictions, okay? That's the, kind of the way we use prophecy um, in a kind of colloquial way. Like if we're talking about like somebody who's a prophet, who's there's prophecy, we're all, almost always talking about future events. Biblically, a, a prophet, and therefore the things they say, which would be prophecy, a prophet uh, is someone who spoke messages from God to the people. That's what it that's what it broadly means. So sometimes it was about a day that had not come. So there's prophecies about the day of the Lord. Okay, so that um, is pretty much always going to be a future when we're looking in the Old Testament. There are others that are intended for the future. And then there are other times when it's about something that was happening right then. So for example, uh, the book of Amos is going to have quite a bit of like, hey, this is what you're doing, and God has sent me with a message that you need to quit doing it. Okay, some things about oppressing the poor, about um, kind of dressing out up their own homes before they would um, take care of the temple of the Lord, things like that. It was behaviors that were going on 
that the prophet was saying, the message from the Lord is that this needs to stop and you need to instead pursue righteousness in these ways. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily about something future, not that people in future generations shouldn't heed that wisdom, but it's not referring to a time exclusively in the future, if that makes sense. It's a principle that we now take on because of what was happening then. Okay, so those are the two, you've got those options. You've got some things that are happening that are in the future and some things that are happening right then. But that leads to another point about prophecy. Sometimes in Old Testament prophecy, both are true at the same time. It is both a future prophecy about something that has not happened yet, and it's also a message about something that is happening in the time of the writing. Okay, uh, And that is not uncommon. A lot of the future prophecies have a kind of a present uh, context in which they live and in which they existed. Okay, So sometimes we refer to that. And we refer to other things as this as well in the spiritual realm as an already but not yet. So it's already happened, but it's also not yet fully fulfilled. We refer to our own um, our own sanctification in that way. Sanctification just being kind of a, a fancy word for how we grow to be uh, more like Jesus, to better reflect Jesus, right? Our, our spiritual growth, uh, we refer to as our sanctification. And so that's one of those things in which we are already sanctified because we've been declared righteous through Jesus' work on the cross, his death, his burial, resurrection, his ascension. But at the same time, I am not fully righteous. I still sin, right? So there's this already component that's taken care of because I've placed my faith in Jesus. But then there's this future hope that I have that uh, my righteousness will be increased when, I am, uh, when I'm fully restored and when I'm in the presence of the Savior. And that's the hope for all believers. So just like that, that there can be a, a now component, but not a full fulfillment. Uh, we have that with prophecies in the Old Testament as well. And this one here in Isaiah 7:14 is one of those, one of those boths. Okay. I think pretty much all of them have a, a little bit of a both, but this one has probably the most both of these three. Um, and here's why. No, here's the challenge though with Isaiah 7. This passage, we it actually has a pretty unclear present time fulfillment. There's not a really like linear story. It's not, again, it's a book of prophecy. It's not primarily a book of narrative. So therefore, there are some uh, elements of it that we believe to have been happening in the present time, but we're not getting a narrative that really clearly spells it out for us. So that's why this one becomes a challenge. Here's kind of generally the present context, though. God is having a conversation with uh, a king of Judah named Ahaz. And Ahaz in, is not necessarily a king that's following the Lord, but the Lord is telling him that he's going to uh, sustain the people of Judah in the threat uh, un, while they are under threat from the nation of Assyria. And he says that there will be a sign. Then this will be the sign that a virgin will conceive, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which you may know, means God with us. You're like, why does it mean that? The fun thing about Hebrew names, and I've shared this before, uh, they pretty much all are just like words pushed together to mean something, and so they're all very meaningful. So M is the like preposition that means with. Um, then there's the little the manu part in the middle is the thing you attach onto the end of a preposition uh, to mean us, and then L is short for Elohim, which Elohim means God. So there you go, God with us. It's all right there. It's not, it's not too mysterious uh, if you have somebody who can explain Hebrew to you, which is, again, it's great because a lot of these Hebrew names have just such rich meaning, um, and pretty much every single one of them does. 
Anyway, don't want to get too sidetracked on that. But here's the thing. This is something that we believe was happening during the time of Ahaz. That This wasn't just a that God was speaking through Isaiah to Ahaz. And he's telling him about this thing that's going to happen in the future. And then he's going back to, okay, now let's talk more about what's happening with you now. That it was kind of this random thing in verse 14. No, we believe it was all linear. And then here's what happens. And in case you're wondering, because I think this is a part that also trips people up. You may be wondering, was there like another virgin birth before Jesus? That doesn't seem quite right. The answer to that is probably not. Um, though I'm, I'm, I try never to say definitely not when I'm not 100% sure where it doesn't say that, right? I think I've talked about that before. If I'm not 100% sure that that's what scripture says, I'm going to tell you what I think is most likely true, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my stamp of definitely on something that scripture hasn't put its stamp of definitely on, right? So I'd say probably not talking about an actual virgin birth. This word for virgin can also uh, mean just a woman of marriable age does not necessarily have to uh, fit a strict criteria of being a virgin. So that is what I would think is probably most likely happening here. And the uh, the thing is, we would believe that then there was a child who they did name Emmanuel, not because he was Jesus, but because this child was born as a sign that God was with the people while they were under threat from the Assyrians. And there are some other things that uh, are going to happen after this this child in Isaiah is born. So it's kind of a sign. It's a reminder of this kind of conversation they're having that God is going to take care of the people. So that's kind of the present context as best as we can kind of cobble it together. Again, it's not a narrative, so it can be a little tough. But then in Jesus' time, so let's put the uh, Isaiah's context uh, behind us, which is in like the 700s BC, so several hundred uh, years before Jesus. Uh, let's go ahead and put that in the on the back burner now. We see in the Gospel of Matthew, and then also in Luke, but Matthew is the one that is uh, is the gospel that is most explicit with helping us understand how an Old Testament prophecy applies to the birth of Jesus, which is really helpful. Uh, so we see because of what Matthew explained, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus' birth is in this same vein, but is the greater fulfillment of the Emmanuel prophecy from Isaiah 7. So we would probably not have thought that the Isaiah prophecy was had a future greater fulfillment if God had not inspired Matthew to include it in that detail. Okay. So we would have just said, okay, that's something that happened back then. But now we have a Holy spirit guided Matthew instructing us that, Hey, this prophecy actually had a greater meaning that was coming. And guess what? It is in the coming of Jesus. So I hope we're not too much in the weeds at this point. Long story short, the too long didn't listen version is, a smaller version of the uh, a child being born and being named Emmanuel happened in Isaiah's time. The greater fulfillment was that Jesus is the Emmanuel, not just a sign that God is with us, but an actual manifestation that God was with us. Okay, so we go from the great promise to Ahab, which is a great one. It's a great promise to say, hey, Ahaz, even though you disobey me, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to protect you and your people and my people, and they're going to know I'm their God. That's an amazing promise. And then God outdoes himself and says, not only that, but God is going to live among us. Double fulfillment, doubly awesome. Okay. So that is in the Isaiah 7 passage. We're also going to talk about one in Isaiah 9. Uh, that may also be familiar to you. Another one that is common, uh, Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation, you, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a, a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of this increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay. So now we're into this section. It's, I think we have to think, I think we have to think what a silly statement. It seems most natural for us to think that this had a little bit more of a future expectation because this does, isn't just like a normal sign, right? Here's some things that lead us that direction. God, Father, everlasting, no end. Because we're talking about a child again for us to, a child is born, right? And then the description of this child is God, Father, everlasting, no end. Uh, peace, there will be no end. Uh, justice, righteousness, forevermore. It's okay. This is not an ordinary child. This doesn't seem like it could be ordinary, right? Because ordinary people do not pull off those kind of things. Ordinary people are not described as God, nor Father, nor everlasting, nor no end, nor forevermore, right? In terms of just a, a king, a regular king would not be described that way. So we see here a great hope for people who are enduring struggle. So there's mention of people in darkness seeing a great light, that uh, people having their oppression lifted, right? There's a mention of a multiplying the nation, which perhaps is a, a veiled reference to the inclusion of the nations, the Gentiles, uh, people who are not uh, of, Israel, uh, of Hebrew descent, basically, in uh, God's redemptive plan that all nations are included. Uh, maybe that's a, a reference to that, maybe not. Uh, that's one of those ones that it's a, a little bit of a, maybe this is that, but it's not certain. So I'm not going to say it's certain, though we do, of course, know that God has included Gentiles in his plan of redemption, which for which we are grateful. But this has just a few too many elements that are, um, I don't know what you'd say, spectacular, that we would think that this is something that's also happening in that time to even a partial extent, Right. The qualities of this one who are coming is a wonderful counselor. Right? He'll give wisdom. That's really counselor in this context. There will be a wonderful giver of wisdom, a mighty God. This child will be God. Again, which doesn't make sense without knowing the Christmas story, without knowing about Jesus. Everlasting Father, this points us to the God who has always been and always will be, that he's everlasting. Uh, and then Prince of Peace, a ruler who will end conflict. So was this prophecy as prominent when it was written and the time thereafter as it is now? It's hard to say because we read this with clarity while they would have read it with hope, but also perhaps a great deal of confusion, right? So it's prominent to us because we see the end result. If you didn't know the end result, which of course the people at this time didn't know that uh, 
God would descend from heaven and live as fully God, fully man among us, right? They did not know that was going to happen. Uh, so would they have seen this as important as we do? Again, hard to say. Think of it like this. Think that you're reading a mystery novel. So you read a detail at the beginning of the book or the first quarter of the book, whatever. And maybe it seems interesting to you, but it doesn't stick until you get to the, to the end and you realize that was a huge clue to the mystery. I had no idea. And that's part of good writing, right? Is that they put the crumbs in there so that you can uh, you can understand the path once you get to the end, but also that it's veiled enough that you don't figure out the, the mystery like halfway through, right? So I have to think it's probably more like us reading a mystery novel for the original audience because they didn't, they didn't know the ending. So they probably saw this and were like, okay, there's something there, but I'm not sure I'll save that for later. But at Christmas, for those of us who get to uh, look back now on the coming of Jesus, his his birth. Uh, we get to look back and see the incredible fulfillment of this incredible promise, and we get to see, oh, that's how it can be a, a child while also being a father. That it can be a child while also being God, because God Himself chose to come and to Earth as a little baby, helpless and needy. Right. So we get to see, wow, that's incredible. We see this, and then we also see how he is in the line of David, how he has established justice and righteousness because of what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. And then it's also a time for us to think, wait, there's still unrighteousness in the world. There's still injustice in the world, right? It's another one of those already, not yet. Has he established justice? Yes. Has he established righteousness? Yes. But we also look forward to more, right? That's our promise is that we have more to look forward to. Okay, one more, one more prophecy. Let's do another one. These are good. So this one's in Micah, uh, the book of Micah. Maybe uh, maybe you have read Micah before. Maybe you haven't. Um, but it has uh, got an important uh, an important passage about where we understand Jesus will come from. So Micah five two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Okay, a little. This one's probably a little less known than maybe the other ones in Isaiah, in terms of a Christmas prophecy. Uh, but this one, we talk about Jesus' birthplace here in the book of Micah, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. It's called. It's given that little modifier at the end, uh, either to distinguish it from another Bethlehem that was in uh, that was farther north, uh, or as a nickname because the two words kind of mean similar things, or it's like a district. Again, we're not 100% sure. It was meant to bring clarity, I'm sure, which it doesn't necessarily for us because we've got multiple options. Uh, it probably did for the people of Micah's day. They had a little bit of an advantage over us on that and understanding local geography. So while the town was insignificant in size and or influence, it did have significance as the birthplace of David and eventually the birthplace of Jesus. Now, again, we recognize the importance of those two details and how they're all very important in the Christmas story. It's possible here that a listener would have thought maybe this was referring to a descendant of David more generically, okay? That David was perhaps the one who is from old, from ancient days, right? That part that it says at the end of the verse. They may have thought, oh, uh, you, another ruler is going to come forth to be ruler in Israel who is uh, one of David's line, and you know, perhaps that gave the people hope about a future, uh, a future ruler who would be exceptional, 
um, in the time or in the uh, lineage of David, rather, um, because remember, God made promises to David that he would have a, a ruler on the throne and people to rule um, in the Davidic covenant. So they may have seen that as like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. There's going to be another ruler who's coming forth. And maybe David is this one that's referring to. But then again, we get clarity when we see this verse applied to Jesus in Matthew. Again, this is another another verse that uh, we see specifically kind of laid out for us in Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 2 so that we can understand, nope, this may have been referring to something else. Uh, but it is definitely referring to Jesus because Matthew told us so. And again, another another benefit of us getting to know the whole story, that we can understand these things that were written long ago that maybe didn't have a super clear fulfillment. We get to see it clearly fulfilled. And so if someone did think that, oh, maybe there's going to be a, a king that uh, God is promising that comes from the line of David, that is true. But generic could not be farther from the truth. This is the descendant of David, again, from a human perspective, because Jesus lived before David, because he is eternal. But a ruler more ancient than David, a better ruler, a perfect Messiah. That's what we know we have, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So as we finish up, I think it's important that we just remind ourselves, why talk about these prophecies? Why should we bother talking about things that we already knew came true? Why should we remind ourselves and put ourselves in the shoes of those people back then? Um, because I'm in my shoes now, and they're better. Were they even wearing shoes? I don't know right? That's maybe some of the thoughts we have. If we go off on a little rabbit trail about it, like I just did. Well, there are important reasons for us to talk about these prophecies. One, it reminds us that God fulfilled his promises to his people then. It reminds us that God fulfilled his promises to his people then, that there were promises made to the people of Israel and Judah long ago that God did not forget about. He did not become lax. He didn't forget to write it down. Instead, while there's a period of, of waiting, there's a period of wondering, there's a period perhaps of darkness while in the waiting, that God fulfilled his promises to his people. That when Jesus was born, he fulfilled promises that they didn't even necessarily know he was making. That's the character of God. He fulfills his promises because we've seen him do it in scripture to his people then. And because of that, it gives us hope that he will fulfill his promises to us in the future because we have not received all of the promises yet, right? I've already kind of alluded to it a little bit. While uh, if we believe in Jesus, we're declared righteous because Jesus took the punishment we deserve for our sin, which is death. We're declared righteous. We are children of God. But at the same time, I do not live purely righteously. I am able to grow more and more into, the, uh, into Christ following and to hopefully reflect him more and more. But at the same time, I still struggle all the time, and you do too. So we know that there's more coming because God has promised, right? So when we are tempted to despair, to uh, think about this life and what it does not offer, which is a lot, and we are tempted toward uh, sadness over that, we are tempted toward doubt, we can be reminded that God has always kept his promises and that God's people have always felt that tension in the middle between the promise given and the promise fulfilled. We, get to, we see that throughout Scripture, that people have felt that. We feel it too, but then we remind ourselves, even though other people felt that God came through and he's going to come through for us. And then third, it gives us an opportunity to glorify God for the wonder that is the birth of Jesus. It blew out of the water any partially fulfilled prophecy, any prophecy that was not fully understood. Even if somebody thought they understood it, 
way back when, they did not. They did not understand how wonderful it would be that God would leave the glory of heaven to be born as a child, to live among us, to show us what God would do if he lived a life on earth, to give us that example, to teach us all these things, then to go further and be mocked and tortured and killed on our behalf. That he came to a people who were his own, but they did not receive him. But instead, that this plan of redemption that God has been spelling out through all of scripture to see this focal point of that story of redemption when Jesus does what it takes to fix our sin problem once and for all. Again, not that we don't still sin, but the punishment for sin is taken care of. All we do is have faith that what Jesus did was enough, and we get to call ourselves children of God. We get to look forward to a future where we are with God forever. And that is really the the majesty of Christmas and what it means to think that God would come to live among us, that he would humble himself to live a life as a human. And whatever anyone could have thought God might do for his people, this is more incredible. And when we look back at these prophecies, it's hopefully an opportunity for us to be reminded of how great God is and how incredible the glory of Christmas is because we get we get lost on it. We get too familiar with it sometimes. We have to keep reminding ourselves. We have to keep putting in front of ourselves how incredible it is what God has done. And it is incredible. And I hope that talking about these prophecies can give us just more awe and wonder at what God has done during this Christmas season.